This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Hey, would you open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 9? We are, uh, we just got back from Israel. And if you remember, if you were here last week, John, uh, John, Joel taught from the book of John, chapter 9, about a blind man that was healed. And remember, he told him to go spit in, uh, spit in the ground, and he, he rubbed it in his eyes. Did you wonder why that Jesus did that, by the way? Because that's kind of gross. But remember, what the, right before that, he forgives this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. What does he do? He's, he's riding in the dirt, right? And we, we don't know what he wrote other than one by one. They kept going away, and it's very possible that he was just writing there each individual name and the sin that they were in, saying, you, you don't get to throw a stone because you've got a sin. But in that same dirt that was used to judge them, Jeremiah 17, Jesus is now using it to heal someone, the same dirt. But he sends them to a pool of Siloam which we were just at like that week, right before Joel's talking about it, we're standing and that is the pool of Siloam that they have dug up. It was under like, you know, 2,000 years worth of battles and Romans and Ottomans and Turks had been burying it. In the last few years, our friends at City of David have been digging and finding it. And so that is the actual pool of Siloam. And uh, Mike and Bev, you were there with us the year before, and Bob and Carol, this other side that you can't see over here, they just got the land. They're going to dig up the rest of it, so they're about to show you get the whole pool of Siloam opened up. But what was even cooler than that was, is this, I mean, look, is that a, is there a better looking family? Pound for pound, you know what I'm saying? The Ross kids. And Ethan, let me tell you what that hair has done for me. You know how much hair I'm pulling out of bathroom plugs right now for my son's hair? We, got, we had three daughters out of the house, and I'm getting more hair from him than from the girls. And there's Anna. Um, this road right here is underneath uh, a Palestinian neighborhood, like Sullivan Farms. Like it's underneath a neighborhood, but they found the rest of this road. So it goes from the Pool of Siloam and you can kind of see like we're under the little, uh, the little door is, it keeps going to this road and it leads all the way to the southern steps of the temple where the Israelites would come to the festivals to cleanse themselves. They do not allow people in this tunnel right now. It's an active archeological dig. It is not open to the public, but our friend Zev Orenstein, who is a good man, he is the guy that has been I mean, he's running the, uh, the, the charge on a lot of stuff right now for City of David, gave us access to it. He let us walk in there where uh, no one's allowed to go. So it was a really big blessing, a really huge God nod for our kids. And hopefully someday that'll all be wide open where we all can walk on it. But there's something special about walking where you know Jesus walked and walking where you know Jesus healed a blind man, where Jesus did all kinds of his ministry, including what we're about to read tonight. Like this took place, the blind man, right? He's, he's been healed, he's born blind, and now he's healed. And everybody's freaking out. His friends and neighbors are like freaking out at he was blind, but he's not, and what's wrong? And he, he, basically, 
they're really freaking out because he broke the law. Like he healed them on the Sabbath, right? And not only that, the Sanhedrin, we'll see it later in this chapter, they passed the law that if you acknowledge that Jesus is Messiah, that you are, you're, you're out of the synagogue. And out of the synagogue doesn't mean like you just get kicked out of church or Hester Prynne with a scarlet letter. It means you are done. You are canceled, like Roseanne Barr level canceled from everything. Canceled. Your financial opportunities are canceled. Your social opportunities are canceled. You are canceled if you just acknowledge that Jesus is Messiah. And so what do they do? They did what a lot of people did in the last three years. They snitched on their neighbors. They turned him in. They were taking him to the Pharisees to turn him in to the religious police. And in verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And therefore the Pharisees also asked him who he, how he had received his sight. And he said, he put mud in my eyes. I noticed he skipped out the he spit on the ground part. The man replied, and I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, the man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. And then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and the man replied, he is a prophet. So that's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word with humility. We come to your word with expectation, with the belief. And this is not an academic exercise, Lord. This is a Holy Spirit exercise that you would open the eyes of our hearts tonight. Lord, there are so many amazing churches in this community doing amazing things for you. And we are one voice amongst many that are raising up the name of Jesus in this community. And we are honored to get to be a part of that. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Back in the late 1900s, like 1990, <laughs> after Shannon and I got in our little covered wagon, <laughs> traveled across the plains <laughs> to Oklahoma, we began to, uh, for a little bit while we were working in the rock and roll business, uh, we were serving as a youth pastor uh, in a little church in Oklahoma uh, for a guy named Buddy Harrison. Now, most people in this room, about two of you are going to know who Buddy Harrison is. Buddy, among other things, started a publishing company. CJ, he started a publishing company back in the 70s when nobody wanted to give publishing deals to people like Kenneth Hagin or Charismatics or Pentecostals. And so he gave publishing deals to those kinds of folks. And by the 80s and the 90s, Buddy had a publishing company that if you were on TV and you had a jet, Buddy was publishing your books and selling a lot of those books. But he had this little church that was uh, called Father's House, and it met on the 60th floor of the Cityplex Towers, which used to be Oral Roberts' City of Faith. And uh, it was a small church in Shannon. There might have been, I don't know, 12 teenagers, 15, 20, I don't know. And we were, look, we were, we were the youth pastors because we were the only ones that weren't over like 50. Do you know what I mean? Like we were like, well, you guys look younger, so you, you get the kids. And we actually enjoyed that time and enjoyed that season. 
And then Buddy was diagnosed with throat cancer. And it was unsettling because that's not supposed to happen to somebody like Buddy. And then it was like a parade of private jets flying from all over to Tulsa to pray for Buddy from people that you would know their names if I said them out loud. It was like the Davos of televangelists, like they were just flying in and praying. And so we're thinking, he's going to be healed. And then he wasn't. And Buddy now has been in heaven for 25 years. Now, that was a problem for me. Because at 26 years old, I had a firm belief that if we asked and we prayed hard enough, that he would be healed. Have you ever, has that happened to you in your life? Yeah. It wasn't long after that when he was, it was at the funeral where they were, there were whispers, well, you know, he probably had secret sin in his life. And I'm thinking, but that's not what you said before. That's what we said this and now like a, it brought up in me a crisis of faith that I didn't see coming. Now, thank God that my crisis of faith happened before Twitter. Do you know what I mean? Because right now, when you start to question things, we just go online, you start a little platform and a blog, and you get followers, and suddenly that, that's your new platform, is trying to like, literally train wreck everybody's faith because you're trying to figure out your own faith, which is kind of narcissistic when you think about it. I didn't have that. I had a wife. I had a little kid, and I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. Like, I got to start over, and and I didn't want to scare anybody or freak anybody out. But I, I literally kind of just went back to the Bible and like, I need to start over here because the the conclusion that I had to come to was there either was no God, or what I believed about Him was wrong. Those were the only two options. And what was amazing was how merciful God was with me as I began to seek, as I began to ask questions, as I began to pray and to actually ask questions not to challenge and not to ruin everybody's faith, but to ask questions so that I could find the truth and let the chips fall where they may. See, John wrote the book of John, he tells us, that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is Messiah, he's the Son of God, and that by believing in him, right, you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote this book. And every page, every paragraph almost, is a case for Jesus being not just a good teacher, not a prophet, right? not just being a good guy, but that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, that you might have life. Now, what I had done is then I added on to the list, and that I could get everything I ever wanted if I just prayed hard enough. Yeah, that's, but that's not why he said he, he wrote this book, right? He said that he's Messiah. And when I started over in my faith, what I... What I've encountered is that if you've got questions about your faith, if you are genuinely, I just want to know, I want to learn, he's not afraid of your questions. Where we get in danger is if our belief is actually in unbelief. You can build an entire life around unbelief. And I'm here to tell you that that is, uh, that's not courageous. It's not wise and it's not humble. And I'm going to tell you why I believe that, because we'll see it right here in this little passage we just started. And that is that there's two kinds of, of doubt. 
And this is, look, if you're young, I want you to hear me especially, but look, whether you're young or whether, I don't know if you know this or not, but one of the greatest populations of people that are walking away from their faith right now are women in their 30s and 40s who are spending an enormous amount of time listening to the wisdom of TikTok and not actually seeking and finding truth. They're finding little snips and and little pockets here. And so here's what I want you to hear me say. If you've got questions, Jesus can handle them. The, the one thing that we get to do is the one thing that most of the people in this snippet did not do, which is go to Jesus. Because there's a kind of doubt that says, I am questioning for answers and truth, and that we, we're going to call that believing doubt. I'm just asking because I'm trying to figure this out. But there's this other kind of doubt, which is an unbelieving doubt, and that kind of doubt is I'm just asking questions because I want to challenge what is true. And in this little snippet, there's three different groups of people that are in an unbelieving doubt. There's the they, the the friends and neighbors, there's the parents, and there's the Pharisees. All three of those groups of people all had a different version. One was an irrational one, one was a victim mentality, and one was a hostility towards faith. And then there's the believing doubt, which is all based in courage. Let Let me tell you why I think that irrational doubt, the people. They, the neighbors, the friends, they brought him to the Pharisees, not because they were being nice, because they're turning him in. Do you remember what I said that my irrational, I had a, a, a faith thing that if I just believed hard enough and I asked hard enough that God would do whatever I wanted him to do? Okay, that was a belief that was irrational, and I'm going to show you why in a minute why it's irrational. Their belief that was irrational was chapter 9, verse 1 this guy's born blind. He's a sinner, or his parents are a sinner, but somebody sinned and he deserved it. That is not who God is. But that's their belief. And in that belief, that irrational belief is being rocked now because this guy, this Jesus, just walks in in the entirety. You look for it and see if you can find it. I can't find a single instance of anyone in the Old Testament being healed of blindness, but they just saw that happen. It literally punched them right in their belief system. And so what they did is what so many of us do, which is they go ask the experts. They go to Google. This was been their version of going to Google. They're going to go ask the experts. They're going to accuse this guy. They're going to try to figure it out. But why I say it's irrational, the one person they didn't go to was Jesus. I mean... You know, Alyssa, if you're, if you're blind, right, and you're a little baby, you're blind, and then now you can see, right, and, and everybody, you, you, everybody's like, man, she's healed, it's crazy, she's healed. Why wouldn't we want to go to the person that healed Alyssa to figure out what was going on, right? That's the rational thing to do, but they didn't, it was irrational. And here's why they were doing it, I think, because it was a fear-based response, anxiety, when Buddy passed away. You know what I was really feeling inside? Was fear. I'm, I was afraid. Everything I believed is now suddenly up for grabs. And what do I, there, that is a scary thing to do, a scary thing to feel. And the tendency and the proclivity is to now go group, find a group of people that believe what you believe, right? Because there's safety in numbers, but there is not sanity in numbers. A lot of people together, you might be safe, but it doesn't mean you're sane. 
And they're going to this group of people now. We're all going to go together and we're going to go to the Pharisees. I'm going to go to my tribe. We're all going to confirm my belief. That's a completely irrational thing to do instead of going to Jesus. But if your faith is questioned, why am I even bringing this up? Why would it even matter? The reason it matters is for the most part, like I didn't, I didn't stumble onto a Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens book and think, wow, he made a really good point. Now I'm questioning my faith. No, life crashed right into something I believed and I was afraid. That was the question beneath the question. And for many of us, that's the way it starts with, with you as well. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't actually tell you something. Because some of you are like, yeah, but Darren, I thought that I could have everything I ask in Jesus' name. Can I take about three minutes and, and read something to you that might help you? And I'm just going to ask you to be a Berean about this. The Bereans in Acts chapter 17, they heard everything, right, that the, the disciples were saying. And then they went and they went to the Word of God and they checked for themselves. So I'm going to read this to you. And then I'm going to ask you to be a Berean about this and go to the Word of God and see if it is what it says it is. So Luke 11, if you have a Bible, turn there. But Luke 11, Jesus is teaching them to pray. And there's the Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We all know this prayer. But in Luke, he actually doesn't stop with that in the teaching. He goes on to say, suppose you have a friend, verse 5, Luke 11, verse 5. Suppose you have a friend. You go to him at midnight and say, friend, Lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey, and I don't have any food to offer him. And suppose the friend, the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. The ring camera is off. My kids are in their beds. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread. His phone is ringing. Should we answer it? Hello? Who is this? Willie? Willie? Lil- oh, it's Lily. Hi, Lily. Hi, Lily. This is, uh, this is Darren. You called your dad's phone in the middle of a sermon. Do you want me to leave him a message? Sure. I just need my mom's keys. Just needs mom's keys. Can someone text Jason that Lily needs his mom, her mom's keys? Can we handle that? CJ's on it. Okay. All right, Lily, thanks. It's nice to talk to you. (laughs) It's all about reaching the kids. You're not going to get that on Sunday morning. I'll tell you that right now. I tell you that even though, right, verse, uh, whatever verse we're on... (laughs) Eight. I can't even see it. Thank you. My, my blurry eyes can't see the numbers. I tell you that even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And then he says, so I ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so what I would have thought for most of my life was that that meant, and maybe you think this too, if I just keep knocking and just keep harassing God and bugging him that eventually he's going to give me what I'm asking for. But he goes on to say, 
Which of you fathers, if your sons asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Who was the one outside knocking on the door? It's not a trick question. It was his friends. It was a friend. And then he goes on to say, the son, where... Where is the son? Where are the children? They're inside, in bed with the parents. One of the greatest truths you're ever going to pick up in life is to, when you read a parable to know who you are in the parable. You and I are sons and daughters of God. That does not put us on the outside, in fact, there's a theology here that he's actually unfolding that is the Jewish people versus the Gentiles, the sons versus those who are outside of the kingdom. But we don't have to knock and beg and plead. We are children. My son woke up this morning and ate half of the food in the fridge. He didn't even have to ask. He just went to the pantry and God His God gave him, (laughs) little g of course, provided for him because he's my son and he has privileges as a son in the house of Darren. You have privileges in the house of God, right, that are yours because you're a child of God. Now, is he going to give you everything you want? Because that's the biggest question. Look, if I given my son everything he ever wanted, and I've given him some crazy requests. If you've seen his mint green Honda Prelude custom car driving around town, I've given him some crazy requests who said yes to. But no, you wouldn't give him everything because I know things he doesn't know. I see things he can't see yet. His frontal lobe is not fully formed. I tell them all the time, you're going to have to lean on my frontal lobe at this point because mine's more developed. You're going to have to trust me that this is it. And that's the relationship we have with our Father. And when you've got a, I'm talking about a 17-year-old, but when he was two years old, there were times I had to say no to him on stuff that he thought was 100% fully a good idea. I couldn't have, I could have whiteboarded it out and it wouldn't have mattered because he wouldn't have got it because his thoughts were not my thoughts, his ways were not my ways. He didn't understand yet. And we are at best two-year-olds in the throne room of a king. And so at some point when we ask, we're going to get the food, we're going to get the provision, we're going to get what he wants, and some things he's going to say no to that we thought he should have said yes, some things he's going to say yes to that we thought he should have said no. Our job is one job and one job only, and that's to ask, because we're kids. And look, I'm looking at the Ross kids, and I know 100%, y'all ask, right? They may say no, but you ask, and you ask with enthusiasm, you ask with passion, and sometimes they say yes. And God, he is good. And he says yes often. And when he doesn't say yes, it doesn't mean it has to shatter your faith. That only happens if you have an irrational belief and an irrational belief causes irrational behavior. Do not shipwreck your faith on the questions. Figure out what the answer is and let the chips fall where they may. This was irrational because it was based in the the idea of a false belief 
their belief was false that because he was a blind guy, he was born sinned, and that's why he was, a, he was blind, because he was born a sinner. That is not why and an irrational belief was causing irrational behavior. Now, the next one is the victim. And I use the word victim because the parents had been treated very badly in their life. You know how I know that? Go back to verse one. This guy's born blind, Tammy. Why is he blind? Because his parents must be sinners. Do you think that they might have felt a little marginalized by this? You think they might have felt a little out in the open and a little hurt by their church, so to speak? Of course they were. And you know what hurt people do? They hurt people. And the longer that you leave hurt inside of you, it grows into something called resentment. See, they come to him now, to the parents. The Pharisees are like, okay, we're not going to believe the guy that says he's blind. Now we're going to go and we're going to ask the parents. They're going to know. And the parents come back. And what do the parents say? Yeah, he, he was born blind. Sure. But I don't know who healed him. By the way, think if you're the son Right. Think if you're that kid who's been blind his entire life. Parents, they know you were blind, and you tell them, this guy Jesus healed me, and they're saying, we don't know who healed him. What, you know what they're saying? He's a liar. He's, he's lying. He's not telling the truth. We don't know who, how to believe him. You just got to ask him. Because it's easy to take the resentment that you feel maybe at church from a, a religious or a, a whatever situation, whatever trauma that you experienced that, that, that really puts you in a position at the moment to be a victim and to turn that resentment on anybody that comes in contact with you. And in this case, and in most cases, quite honestly, that resentment is aimed at the person you love the most. And in this resentment, they're resent, these parents resenting him because it's his fault that he was blind and now they've got to pay for it and their lack of courage in that moment, their lack of whatever it was, all they knew was they didn't want to be the ones thrown out of the synagogue because by saying that Jesus healed them, now they're going to be acknowledged, now they're acknowledging that he's Messiah, that means they're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. No way. We're not going to let that happen. It's his fault. Ask him many, many, many of the friends that I have, and I've got plenty because I worked in Christian music for a very long time, who have gone on a deconstruction of their faith journey. When you start talking in detail, and this might be someone in this room, quite honestly, almost every time when I'm having a conversation with them, and they'll tell me what they're rejecting, I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 I reject that too. That's not God. There's, there's this idea that they had in God that wasn't it, and they were, they were hurt by some church situation, and now they're resentful of it. Like, oh, no, no, that's not God. Don't, you don't have to reject the whole thing. That... Someone gave me a, a pro tip that's worth re considering and worth repeating for you, and that was in a situation where Shannon and I had been in, where we had been, uh, we had been hurt in a church situation, and maybe you have as well. Maybe you're being hurt in this church. The tendency is, the proclivity is to say, I got hurt by the church. The church, I throw the whole thing at it. And, and a friend of mine said, you know what, why don't you do this? Write down the names. Think of everybody at that church that hurts you. Write down their names. And I did. And it was like three people. It's like the church didn't hurt you. Those three people hurt you. Don't blame 
the bride of Christ for something that a couple of people did to you. Might be a good tool for you if you've been in that situation because then it gives you a chance to then not harbor resentment against an entire institution and to let the forgiveness work inside of you so that you are not resenting and losing your faith over something that one or two people did and not a whole organization. And the third one is the Pharisees who were hostile. The Pharisees, they weren't motivated by fear or anxiety. They weren't motivated by uh, the, the sadness and the resentment. Now, these guys are motivated by shame. You know how I know that? Because if you spend your entire life enforcing how much salt that you are putting out for your tithe, if you spend your entire life, it's like you are the homeowners association in a phase two Del Boca Vista home, you know, condo community in Florida somewhere. Like you just, I just want to enforce all the rules. Seinfeld reference, anyone? (laughs) You think that the Pharisees kept all 619 laws? You think they did it all right? No, no. And out of shame, of their own shame, they just handed, I'm gonna hand that shame off to everybody else. And the way that that shame is handed off is in the form of resentment. Have you ever encountered someone, especially who's in a faith crisis, especially on Reddit, I highly, uh, five out of five stars do not recommend uh, engaging an atheist on Reddit because, because what happens is there's a resentment, there's a shame to it, and that shame is what happens right here. They insulted him. He, he is literally saying, I was blind and now I see. My parents said I was blind. I'm now looking at you. Everybody can confirm this. And they were out of things to say, so they started to insult him because it was contempt. When you are stuck in shame and you will not get out of it, contempt is what you show for those around you. So the question is, do you want your life undergirded by anxiety, by contempt, right? By fear and anxiety? Or do you want your life like the blind man that had just been healed. Those three that I just showed you were the unbelieving doubt. They were literally looking at incontrovertible evidence and saying, I'm still not gonna believe. I'm asking all these questions, not because I wanna learn, because I wanna challenge, because I'm afraid, because I'm resentful, because I'm in contempt. And the blind man, he's still growing in his faith. He doesn't even know. He, He says like, I don't know. He may be a sinner, maybe. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And you begin to see in this blind man the opposite of the other three. Uh, I don't know. I was blind and now I see. There's a humility in that, right? Humility is the opposite of contempt. You see a a courage because he's looking at these guys and he knows he's about to get his butt thrown out of synagogue. He's about to get canceled. And he speaks to them saying, Verse uh, 30, look, that's remarkable. You don't know where he came from, and yet he opened my eyes. <laughs> he says, look, all I know is that guy has to be God. I'm acknowledging that he is Messiah, and I know you're going to throw my rear end out of here. That takes courage. And then he goes on to say, 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's got wisdom, wisdom, humility, and courage. Young people, old people, halfway in between people. Unbelief is not courageous, it's cowardice. Anybody cannot believe. Belief takes courage. It takes wisdom. It doesn't mean you check your brain at the door. Never. It means that you look at the reality in front of you. And the beautiful thing, and I want to play this video for you really quick, and then I'm going to let you go. The evidence is all around us. It says miracles are impossible. And that worldview is materialism. The probability of a miracle given scientific materialism or scientific naturalism or scientific atheism is your worldview is zero because a miracle is an act of God. If God does not exist, there's no possibility of, of, of a miracle. And then when you read those docu- the, the documents of the, uh, of the, the Tanakh, the, the, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, you necessarily have to simply deduce that the, 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 the events that are recorded could not possibly have happened because there, there, because miracles because are possible and there is, no, there is no God to exist. Right. But if there is now a case, and I, I, I don't think there's ever not been a case for the, reali- the, the, the reality of God, but I think the case has gotten so strong and scientific atheism has become so, itself so weird in opposing it. We, we now have the multiverse hypothesis as, an, as a, an alternative to the evidence of design we have in the fine-tuning. When I, my main work has been about the evidence of design in, at the foundation of life and biology, the digital code that's in the DNA. And to explain that, this, the, the, uh, the chemical evolutionary theorists and secular evolutionary biologists are, have not come up with an evolutionary account of the origin of information. Some of them are now talking about the, the information coming from a space alien, the, the so-called panspermia hypothesis. And so you're getting this very strange way in which it's now scientific atheism that is engaging in the formulation of ever more epicycles of of, of strange hypotheses. So your point is... My point is the belief in theism is again credible. Let let me frame it up. Your point is that Big Bang, the discovery of fine-tuning, the discovery of unbelievably complex code, even in the simplest forms of life, that makes a belief in resurrection, Orthodox Christianity, intellectually respectable. It makes a belief in theism very credible, and if there is, and that changes the prior probability, as the philosophers would say, of a miracle. And that means you have to reassess those, those, uh, those biblical texts on straight-up historical grounds without having a presupposition that precludes the possibility that there is historical support for the events recorded therein. So basically, panspermia... Or Jesus is who he said he was. The world today is no different than it was 2,000 years ago. It is as credible as it's ever been. And yet, media on every level, politicians, entertainment, personalities insult you, insult us. You see, this man that was healed was thrown out of the synagogue. He paid a price 
for the truth. And the days of us living in America thinking that we're not going to pay a price for the truth, brothers and sisters, I've got a big news flash for you. They're gone. It's over. So are we going to be like the parents who I'm just too scared and I don't want, I resent for this and I'm, just, I'm not going to say anything because it's the consequences are too high? Or are we going to be like the Pharisees, which is that we're just going to res- just literally insult everybody? Or, or, are we going to be like this man that says, all I know was he, I was blind and now I can see. And that I'm willing to pay the price for the truth because the price for a lie is incalculably worse. I am way more afraid of the lie. I am way more afraid of living by a lie than I am of the consequences of some talking head on a network saying something mean about me, some tweet that hurt my feelings. That's a small price to pay for the truth and just four weeks, I'm going to be in Southeast Asia with 1,500 leaders from persecuted churches all over Asia. They have paid with their lives. They've paid with their homes. They've paid with their finances. And I love it because Hebrews 11 says they actually get a better resurrection. I don't know what that means, but if the Bible says it's better, it's better. And I'm asking you, brothers and sisters of Conduit, In the days, the weeks, the months, and years ahead, some of you are going to lose your jobs. Some of you are going to have to make some very uncomfortable decisions. And are you going to make those decisions like a blind man that was healed or like a victim who is afraid? It's your choice. Jesus loves you either way. One of the best things about the last three years for me was I realized, oh, they just said mean things about me and I was still alive. You can't cancel me. I didn't let them. Turns out if you don't participate, you can't get canceled. <laughs> like I'm opting out. <laughs> but even if they did, and I know I'm looking in this room, I'm looking at many people that I know. I mean, Michael Menard, I know people in this room. Pat Kirby, we'll go down for the truth before we'll ever rise for a lie. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for this first Sunday night service. Yeah. Lord, we are making room for you to do. Holy Spirit, no longer to quench your spirit, to stop what you're doing. And as this grows in addition, it will grow in multiplication. Hundreds of more families freed. Thousands of more addicts set free at place of hope. countless more souls coming into the kingdom here and around the world. And Lord, today we want to rise up from here with the courage, with the wisdom, and with the humility of the blind man that was healed and walk out of here followers of you. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. 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 (laughs) Love you guys. You're dismissed.